What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got Ultra Endurance Runner Tony Portera on the line today. How are you, man? Good. How you doing, Robert? I'm great. I'm great. This is going to be a selfish podcast because I've got all kinds of questions with regards to endurance running and ketogenic dieting. But uh, before we dive into that, could you give the audience a little little brief bio kind of on you and what got you into the space? Yeah, sure. I, um, I'm 47 years old. Uh, I got two kids, uh, 16, 17, married. And uh, probably about 2007, 2008, I found the sport of ultra endurance running and um, really fascinated by it. Started off at the 50-mile range. Uh, worked my way up to 100 miles, and um, over the course of the last 10 years, managed to complete over 35 races of 100 miles or more, seven-time finisher of the Badwater 135, and uh, three-time finisher uh, of the Brazil 135. And um, But it wasn't until recently, last couple of years, that I found this uh, lifestyle, more ketogenic um, diet, um, following kind of a no-sugars, no-grains uh, lifestyle and living when I met um, a guy by the name of Vinny Tortorich. And um, I've really found that that kind of lifestyle has helped me even at the age of 47 to improve not only in ultra endurance events of 50 and 100 miles and more, but even at the shorter distances. And it's really kind of changed my life for the better in a lot of different ways. There's like so many questions I've got right now. But first, you said you were 47. What do, what do you What do you tell people that are, you know, in their 40s I don't know, it's crazy man like I feel like people that hit their hit their 40 mark and then their health just starts to decline they become much less active just on average and here you are running 100 plus miles at 47 that's impressive yeah you know I found that as I got older the shorter distances and trying to improve my times in the shorter distances became more difficult but improving my times at the ultra endurance events the longer distances became not easier, but I had a better shot at it because if you practice more patience in your running and in your training, um, you realize that your body can go farther and do things that you didn't think it could do, even at um, the age of 47 or in your 40s. Um, and a lot of the very good ultra-endurance athletes um, continue to do very well uh, into their 30s and 40s and even beyond that. Do you have any, like, have you noticed any change in your joint health over the past, you know, 10, 20 years, say? It's kind of amazing. So a lot of people would always tell me, especially my mom and dad, with all this running that I do, is, ah, oh, your knees are going to go, your this is going to go, your that's going to go. But it's kind of interesting. I've, I, I have not had any issues with all, at all as far as joints. Uh, injuries also, I, I tend to watch my body Every single day, if I feel something, I make sure I rest and I tend to recover very well. So I've adapted very nicely to the longer distance miles, even as I've um, aged. Okay, I've got <laughs> so many questions, man. I'm going to go down <laughs> the rabbit hole here. Um, but before I, before I do that, before I'm just going to hold back a little bit. Um, what, what got you into running in the first place? Like of all the different sports out there, when did you kind of, you know, jump into to running and, and endurance? So it's kind of kind of a cool story, kind of a weird story. I was a soccer player as an, as a kid. Um, it's the only sport I played growing up. Um, played it through college. Um, graduated from college, went to law school, and after law school, pretty much stopped becoming 
stopped being um, athletic, so to speak. Kind of went through the motions, started drinking a lot of beer on the weekends, watching football games, college football, professional football. Uh, had had a couple of kids and found myself tremendously out of shape. I I weighed probably sixty pounds more than I weigh today. I was up over two hundred. I'm about five foot eight, five foot nine on a good day. Um, weighed about two hundred five, two hundred seven. Uh, met a couple guys in the neighborhood who were running and said, oh, "I'll try this," and, and hated every second of it. I, I finished a five k race and I thought I was going to die. Um, but then I kind of read a little bit more about ultra endurance events and it, and it intrigued me. So I said, oh, let's run a marathon first. Let's try that and see what happens. All right, let's go a little further. Let's go a little further. And somehow got extremely caught up in and almost addicted to ultra endurance events. And not just the events themselves and what you learn about yourself while doing the events and the experiences you go through, whether it's a 50 mile race or a hundred mile race, but the community in general is so inviting and so welcoming. And the events, as opposed to running, let's say, the New York City Marathon or the Chicago Marathon, where you're running with 50,000 people. Back when I started running 100-mile races, we didn't, have 100, we didn't have 100 people in the event. Some events had 50 or 60 people in the event. So it really became a community that was so welcoming and inviting that it was ultra-addictive. Um, mm -hmm. And I just couldn't stop doing it. I was running five, six hundred-mile races a year um, at that point. Has it grown quite a bit in popularity now? Like when you go to a 100-mile race now, are there significantly more people? Exponentially. In fact, what has happened to um, ultra-running events in particular over the course of the last 10 years is that it's gone from I can show up to a race and pay an entry fee to the vast majority of races, especially the very well-known ones like the Western States 100 or the Hard Rock 100 or the Badwater Ultramarathon, or um, any of those major ones where you have great interest in it, they will sell out in, as fast as your keto bricks sell out, if not faster. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a race that has signed up this Saturday um, at 12 o'clock noon called the Umstead 100-mile endurance run. It's run in March uh, in the Raleigh-Durham area, and it will sell out online within 10 minutes without question that's crazy so is the is the vibe like do they cap the the participants so that it doesn't get just unwieldy with the amount of runners and then the vibe stays pretty good because it's just not you know tremendously you know overbearing generally yes and also it depends on the you know the location of the event like for example uh, the umstead 100 is in, it is at umstead state park so there's only a certain amount of people that you can get in there and and they have to consider let's say you have uh, 150 runners, those 150 runners are going to come, uh, almost all of them with someone to pace them during the nighttime hours. So now you're going to double the number of people that are going to potentially be on the course. Plus they might have crew members who are there to help them as they come to aid stations and come around and help feed them and, you know, give them more fluids and stuff like that. So to, to a large degree, these events are constrained by the environment in which they are run. So just like, um, Hard Rock 100 or the Leadville Trail 100, which has a lot of uh, single track trail. You can't put a thousand people on the, on single track trails out in the middle of nowhere and expect to have uh, a successful event. So there are limits to the entrance, but in general, these races are very small, uh, very inviting, and and an excellent experience. What what was your first? Uh, actually, what what's um 
what's the qualifications to be considered a ultra marathon? Is it 50 miles plus or is it 100 miles plus? No, it's actually so a marathon's 26.2. Anything over that, you would consider yourself an ultra marathoner. The entry level ultra marathon is your 50K, right? That would be your entry level. Um, there are 60Ks, uh, 50 milers, 100Ks, 100 milers. There are even 200 mile races now. There's an, there are even races that are longer than that. There's a race called the Vol State um, race that runs all the way across Tennessee. It's uh, 300 something miles, I think it is. I have to go back and look. But um, not only are the number of ultra races growing across the country and across the world, but the distances are now increasing uh, from the 100s to the 200s to the 300s and beyond. That's crazy. When, when, when did this become, um, like when you first got into it and there was very, you know, not very many participants, was it, have you, have you noticed a trend in people's times? Like have times trended up or down as far as people's ability to run that far? Oh, I think they've trended, they've trended down. People have gotten faster and, and younger people are getting into it. Um, and records are being set at all of these races year after year after year. It's incredible how the human body can adapt and improve and improve and improve. Um, I never show up to a race thinking I have a chance to win because there's always going to be that person that's just unbelievably amazing. I'm, I'm kind of a middle of the pack person. Uh, and if, if I'm lucky, I finish in second place in a race where there's, you know, only one or two superstars. Um, but times get have been getting faster. It's incredible. Some of the performances that people have been logging over the course of the years. I'm curious, like with my sport in bodybuilding, it's, uh, I mean, I'm up on stage with other people, you know, we're, we're competing for a title, we're competing for placing. And there are, you know, first, second place, uh, first, second, third place finishers. But I've always considered bodybuilding to be an individual sport in which it's me against me, I would assume it's probably pretty similar with you know, ultra endurance running, because I mean, there's placings, but at the end of the day, you're, you're kind of up against yourself. You are, I mean, there's placings and, you know, there may be first, second, third, there may be, you know, first, second, and third in each age group and each gender and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you truly are competing against yourself. Really, when you go to one of these ultra running races, and I'll take like the Badwater 135 mile race, which is run in July across Death Valley in temperatures that are in the 120s, right? I would say that of the 100 runners that might start that race, maybe five are actually competing to win it or, have, or will compete to win it at the end of the day. And everybody else is there to compete against themselves and to learn about themselves and to learn something about the environment and to see just how they can triumph in this environment that's so crazy and so difficult so and at the end of the day when you win an ultra endurance race uh, an ultra running race whether you win it or you come in dead last place you get a belt buckle there's usually no cash there's no cash prize money you get a belt buckle to signify that you completed 100 miles um so you really are there um a lot for the experience a lot for the learning experience, the camaraderie, the community. Uh, and it's really, if you've never seen an ultra running event before, you should go see it. It's really, really cool to be at. I would definitely, definitely check that out. I'm, I'm intrigued by this for sure. Because I mean, it's so different physically from bodybuilding, but 
just hearing you talk about, it, I feel like, you know, the camaraderie, the community, a lot of the, you know, <clears throat> you against you mentality that goes into it. There's so many similarities. Um, what about like the, to get qualified, you have to get qualified to run these hundred miles, right? So you can't just sign up online, right? So some yes and some no. It depends on the race and it depends on um, how big it is. And and, the, and some have criteria to sign up, some don't. Um, generally, it's good if you've run at least a 50-mile race before you do a 100-mile race. Um, but, for example, the Badwater 135-mile race, uh, you don't just go and sign up online. There's an entire application process, an entire review committee. You must have run at least three 100-mile races previously if you're new to the Badwater race. If you're a prior finisher, that counts as a qualifier. Um, but even then, you have to complete uh, a form online that's almost like a resume of why you should uh, be in this race, why you should be uh, allowed to participate in it and get to experience it, uh, and then a committee decides. Then there are other 100-mile races that want to know that you can complete it. They might say, uh, you must have completed a 50-mile race or you must have completed a 100-mile race. Um, but there are some that don't have those uh, criteria for entry. Gotcha, gotcha. What does your training regimen look like? Do you have like, um, like do you work up towards these longer races and then kind of scale back, you know, in weeks prior? What, what does a typical training regimen look like for you? So it depends on the race and it depends on, um, it depends on a lot of things. I, over the course of the 10 years, have been um, I used coaching and, tra and training to help me learn a lot about this sport, um, including some of the best uh, runners out there, Zach Bitter, um, who holds American records in ultra running, uh, Ray Zahab, the Canadian ultra endurance athlete that does amazing things with his charity, Impossible to Possible, Charlie Engel, who is an exceptional and accomplished ultra endurance, uh, ultra -endurance athlete, um, Lisa Smith-Batchen, who's finished Badwater 10 times. Uh, I've been coached by all of them, and they all have different philosophies uh, and different programs. I've kind of adapted a little bit um, and taken bits and pieces of each one. So my training regimen generally, when I'm really training for a 100-mile race, is to try, to try to get 70 or 80 miles a week. Uh, but it's not just purely running long distances. During the week, I might do 10 miles a day and mix in a day or two of speed work or hill work. It's the weekends or once or twice a week um, where I'll employ the long run, 20, 25, 30 miles, maybe throw in a race like a 50-mile race to get ready for it. But really focusing on uh, quality training and quality running uh, versus overdoing the amount of mileage just to get mileage in. And I found that I've become more successful if I focus on how my running is, what the quality of it is, what the type of workout is versus just trying to pad on 100-mile weeks and stuff like that. I've even run 100-mile races on just 60-mile-a-week training, uh, and I really believe most people can do that. I'm coaching a few people now, and we're working on limiting their mileage but making it quality, meaningful workouts throughout the week. I, uh, I've never run distance. I used to run distance back in, in high school, like uh, middle school, like track, track, you know, like two miles tops. Um, but but I randomly decided to sign up for a marathon this month, and I I haven't run I haven't run ten miles all year, man. And I'm gonna run this marathon uh, last week of the month. Um, a lot of people think I'm probably crazy for doing that <laughs> without any training. But what I mean is that even it's it's possible, obviously. But what can I do to minimize any chance of injury? So when is your so your marathon is at the end of this month, September? 
Yeah, the 29th. Um, <laughs> I just went online to find the nearest, closest marathon and just signed up on a whim because I got tired of people saying that I couldn't run uh, without carbs. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just do it. I'm a bodybuilder. I'm the heaviest I've been in years. I'm just going to go run a marathon. Well, number one, I can tell you, you can absolutely run without carbs because I completed a, the Badwater 135-mile race with uh, Vinny Tortorich. I don't know if you know who Vinny is, but Vinny mm -hmm. is uh, the no sugars, no grains guy who is a, a, a tremendous cyclist. Uh, I think he's uh, – I think he's kayaking by all the fuchs without uh, carbs. Um, he's doing a documentary called, I think it's called the Fat Documentary. Um, he was on my crew and I completed that race with almost no carbs, strategic carbs towards the end of the race, um, but primarily fueling on fat. So you can definitely, definitely do it without carbs. To stay away from injury, given that you haven't trained, I would, I would probably say that you should just take your time and enjoy the marathon and you know, if it takes you four and a half hours to do it, so be it. If it takes you five hours to do it, so be it. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you have 22 days left until this, this race and you haven't trained for it. Um, you can absolutely do it, though, without question. Yeah, I feel pretty confident. I feel like running, running for me, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it's physical, obviously, but so much of running, I think, is, is mentality. And if you, you know, f fixate on how much farther you have to go, you're just digging yourself a hole. Whereas if you just kind of, you know, one mile after the next, I mean, just for long, you're done. Ray Zahab, the great Canadian ultra endurance athlete, um, look him up if you ever have time. He would agree with you completely. And he has a saying that endurance events are 90% mental and the other 10% is all in your head. Yeah. So I like that. It's it's a great thing to it's a great thing to live by and and it's and it's very true. There's a there's a huge mental component to it. What about um? So let's just kind of dive into the weeds on on nutrition. You kind of touched on it there briefly, but I want to kind of flesh it out. So what was your nutrition like prior to doing keto, and like what changed and how did that compare to what you're doing now? So my nutrition before was heavy carbs, lots of carbs, right? I'm an Italian, so lots of pasta all the time, pasta, pasta, pasta. Um, it's kind of like the sugar. norm, right? Yeah, a lot of people do that. Pasta yeah, load, absolutely. It's it's the norm. Everybody, you know, every race has to have a pasta dinner before the uh, before the race begins, and also uh, lots of sugars. Um, almost, I mean, I can definitely say I have a sugar addiction, um, so I try to stay away from it now as much as possible. Um, but I was just a heavy carb person, um, fast food person too. You know, like uh, anything to get me through and to get by and uh, to get through the day because there was very little time in the day to begin with um, and certainly not enough time um, to cook a good meal. Uh, so I found myself eating this way and running and losing some weight, right? I was like 207 maybe at the time I started to get, you know, get into, into running and ultra endurance events. Um, I found that with, with exercise, I was able to lose some, but as Vinny would tell you, exercise is a poor way to lose weight. It's all about um, your nutrition and what you're putting into your body. And then I stumbled across him, and I stumbled, stumbled across um, Dr. Tim Noakes and Zach Bitter, some of these uh, low-carb athletes, and I started, reading about, I started reading about everything. And I tried a little, um, tried a little vegetarian style for a while, and I didn't really like it, and it didn't really work for me. And, Tried the vegan thing for a while, didn't didn't work for me. Um, 
But then, then I found this no sugars, no grains lifestyle. And I gave it a try. And the first time I failed miserably. I had headaches during the first week. Um, as I was getting, you know, the, that those, it's just like when you drink coffee every day and you cut it out mm -hmm. and you have those caffeine headaches and those cravings. I had that. I was miserable. I had the, I had the keto flu. Right. And, um, so a couple weeks later, tried it again. Didn't quite work for me. Third try, I was able to get through that initial week period for me. And as soon as I got over that hump, it became so easy and so simple. And the weight just started coming off. And ultimately, I, I got down to the weight I am today, which is somewhere between 150 and 155, um, which is a comfortable, comfortable weight for me. And, and it helps me in my running, too, because I'm not carrying so much weight. Out. 207 pounds was a lot to carry. Um, but it just so you were 207 easy. before keto, and you were running, and your running hadn't really changed since like the, the total distance and mileage you put on. That only manipulation was the nutrition you lost. Like what, sixty pounds in that amount of time? I might have lost the first fifteen to twenty without being keto. It, it, it was the it was the big part of it, right? That forty to forty five, probably. That was solely a result to me, at least in my mind, of changing from a high carb diet to a low carb, high fat diet, to more keto diet. I don't live in ketosis, that's for sure, um, but. I limit my carbs to cruciferous vegetables um, and to and to you know green green leafy vegetables. A lot of cauliflower, I like broccoli, a lot spinach, and um, I do do fruits, but but very little fruit. Mostly the berries, though blueberries and raspberries. Um, but generally, I don't crave sugars and I don't want sugars. And and even if I did, even when I do have um, fruit as a sugar, it's almost too much sugar. I can really taste it now. I can really yeah. Here, but but I do I do contribute the bulk of that weight loss to the switch nutritionally. So what what is your nutrition like, um, or do you manipulate your nutrition, or how closely do you track it? Like, what are some of the things that you do, the tweaks that you make leading up to a run and during the run? So for me, the great part is is I don't even think about it. I don't track it. I eat when I'm hungry, um, and when I'm hungry, I eat high fat items whether you know whether it's cheese olives I eat a lot of olive oil um i do eat a lot of meats um and stuff like that uh, some nuts um also bacon is perfectly fine and i love it too i'll eat eggs chicken um steak is great um all sorts of all all kinds of things but i don't really track and i don't really manipulate anything i i find that it it makes my life easier and i'm so so comfortable in the fact that i know that i'll just eat when i'm hungry I'm, typically my day i i'll go i'll go until i haven't eaten yet today i woke up at 4:30 i've gone for a run already completely fasted i usually will have a cup of coffee with a little bit of heavy cream in it and my first time i'll even think about food is probably when we get off of this podcast yeah that's pretty similar to mine like i wake up early i'll train I'll have like a fatty coffee, but I won't have that first meal until like early afternoon hours or late that's afternoon hours. That's what's great about this is once you really get into becoming a fat burner, um, besides all the benefits from it, and there's there's more benefits from that, at least I think for me, than just the weight loss. I feel like I have more energy all the time. I feel like um, I, I sleep better. Um, 
I just all around, I feel like I'm healthier and more well-rounded, more alert, and more awake. And I actually experimented for a few months uh, very recently and went off of the keto lifestyle and went back to carbs, sugars, and grains. And I found that I was absolutely miserable. My sleep cycles were off. My, my whole body just felt absolutely miserable. I couldn't get into a rhythm with anything. Um, and then part of that experiment was getting back to being a no sugars, no grains athlete, being more keto. Um, and because of the experiences of I had attempting before, I found it was very, I was able to get back on it. It was a little bit of a struggle at first. Um, but I'm, I'm back on it again, which is great. Did it make a noticeable difference in your, your training, you know, then acutely? Yeah, I, yes, I was, I was, I did not perform well in training um, when I switched back to the higher carb diet and the sugars in my diets. Um, for, to, to begin with, my sleep, my sleep was very poor. So I would go into an early morning training pretty exhausted. Uh, and I found mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't even get into a groove uh, with a five mile training run. I would struggle and I would more think about um, when is it going to be over? Um, more than anything else. Whereas when I'm, when I'm really fat adapted and I can go out there for whether it's a 10 mile run on, the, on a weekday or a 20 mile run on the weekend, I, when I go train, on, when I go for a 20 mile run on the weekend, I take nothing with me. I have coffee before and I take no fueling whatsoever with me, nothing. Uh, and I can Is do there 20 like a certain mileage where you start introducing food. Uh, I'd, I'd look at it as I'll, I'll eat, when I'm hungry, I'm ready. Now in a race, um, in a race, that might be different because the reality is, is even training for a hundred mile race, there's only so much distance you can cover in training because I, like, I have a family, I have a wife, I have two kids and I can't disappear on a weekend for six or seven hours to go train somewhere. Uh, so generally my training runs don't incorporate nutrition, which mo some people might say, well, that's bad because how are you going to practice what you do in your race if you're not doing it in your training? Uh, well, for me, I've got enough experience where I feel that I know what I'm going to do uh, when I race and, and, and I, can, I can deal with that when it comes. Uh, but during a race, I, will, I, have, I have learned and my last few races have been such that I didn't think about food until at least five hours into the event gotcha and it gotcha. wasn't it wasn't by plan though it was just i didn't think about it i would come around to you know the, the last race that i did in february was a loop it was a two two point something mile loop so i would get to my stuff you know every you know 20 minutes max or so and i would come by and my family was there and they would say do you want food and i was like no next time maybe next time and then before i knew it it's five hours in and i was eating food so so it's not by plan. It's just when I feel that I'm ready, that's when I'll go ahead and start eating. When you're running like the, the Badwater 135, for instance, like how, how do they have that set up from like an aid station perspective? Do, they, do you cross the same point more than once or is it just like a continual stretch in which there's people set up, but you don't necessarily pass like a, like a spot where you have stuff set up already? Badwater is a completely different animal compared to most of your hundred mile races, right? So there's no aid stations whatsoever at Badwater. It is a point to point race that starts at the lowest point in the United States, Badwater Basin. 
which is below sea, sea level, and finishes at the base of basically where the climbing and hikers route starts from Mount Whitney, um, which is the highest peak in the continental uh, United States. So it's point to point, 135 miles with three major climbs of, you know, 15, 17, 13 miles each, something like that. Um, and a lot of up and a lot of down. These climbs are like 5,000 feet uh, each over the course of 12 miles or so. Uh, and the last climb is about a 13-mile climb from 122 miles to 135. You must have a crew with you at that race. So it's usually people use vans, right? And I think now you can have a maximum of four crew members with you. What happens is as you start the race and you run, your crew vehicle will typically jump ahead of you a mile to two miles. When you come across upon your crew vehicle, your crew members will come across the street, hand you new supplies. Maybe you need a new water bottle, your water bottle filled. Maybe you need some ice. Maybe you need to take some food with you. You'll grab it from them. You'll keep going. They'll hop in the van. They'll go ahead a mile to two miles, and you'll repeat the process over and over again until you finish. Gotcha, gotcha. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I think that'd be, that's just awesome. I didn't even realize they did that. But you get like a whole crew with you, kind of camaraderie in that aspect. I mean, that's, that's sweet. It's absolutely great. And in fact, I w- I'll put this out there. I, I completed the race uh, seven years in a row, uh, starting in 2009. I've missed the last three years because um, of obligations I have with my kids as they grow up, college visits, summer activities, and things like that. I do plan on going back again, and I will absolutely offer you and Crystal a spot on a crew if you're interested in seeing what it's like and what it's about. Oh, 100%, man. Count me in for sure. I would love to do that. And we'll make it, we'll make just, it work. I'll just, I'll just feed you a steady supply of keto bricks every time you reach the van. <laughs> hey, we'll try it. We might as well try it. Let's see what happens if we could do 135 miles in Death Valley in July on keto bricks alone. Hey, that, that sounds like a perfect plan to me, man. Let's do it. I'm in. What about like normal races that that don't have like the the van aspect? Like you just have like a little little pouch with you, a little backpack or something. It depends on the race. Um, you know, if it's a race as a loop course, it's much easier, right? So like that one I was telling you about in uh, February is a jackpot 100, 2.5 mile loop. You don't need to carry really anything with you because you're going to get to your stuff every two and a half miles, as opposed to the Umstead race that's in March that. I told you registration is this weekend. That's a 12 and a half mile loop that you do eight times. Uh, and they have two aid stations, one at the beginning and one in the middle of each loop. So you can carry a little pouch with you or put something in your pocket. Uh, some people might wear a vest if they, you know, they want to carry water in a vest or just carry things in a vest. Um, but you can pick up most of your stuff at the aid station. But the vast majority of races that are more spread out, like whether it's a Western States 100 or, um, one of these races like um, like Leadville Trail 100 or Hard Rock 100, they will have aid stations spread out throughout the race. Um, your options are to carry what you can and pick up stuff at the aid stations, or you can also um, have these drop bags, right? So you put your stuff in a bag, maybe you label it for the aid station, they bring it out there. So when you get to that aid station, your bag will be there. So like if we were doing a race um, and I had I, I couldn't carry... 50 keto bricks if i wanted to carry 50 keto bricks maybe i might send three to one aid station you know send them around in drop bags and then when i got there i'd be able to grab them gotcha gotcha that makes sense i hate i hate holding things while i run so i would definitely not want to have like 
you know, hands full of water bottles or food or anything like that. That just bothers me. Yeah, me, me too. And I generally, you know, depending on the race, I'll, I'll generally always carry a water bottle that has like a little, you know, like a Nathan bottle that has like a little pouch on it. And maybe I would throw like a couple of things in there that I might, you know, want to have or take if I needed it. Um, but I don't like to carry things e- either. I try running races with hydration packs or with vests on it. And I just found that I just, it, it, it annoyed me. Lots of people do it and it's perfectly fine. But um, for me, it was more of an annoyance than anything else. What do you do about like electrolytes? Do you um, like have any kind of like sodium tablets or anything that you take throughout the run? Yeah, I used to take, um, I, I generally take like Succeed tablets or Salt Stick. And now um, Pure Vitamin Club makes a salt, um, makes an electrolyte salt tablet, which is really great too. So I'll put those in a pouch, uh, throw them in my, wa- you know, throw them in my little water bottle pouch and, and just take them periodically if I need it. Um, sometimes I'll grab some Pedialyte or something from a store and, and if it's a loop course, I could, I could have some Pedialyte, which is, which is great too. I find that to be good. Or some of those noon tablets, which are electrolyte tablets that dissolve in water. But, but I like the, I like the, um, I like the salt products, the, the succeed products. And now that pure vitamin club has its own, um, electrolyte, uh, capsule, uh, that's great too. So I'll, I'll, I'll use them and I'll take them with me. Do you do anything with your nutrition like leading up to it with regard to like the night before a, a big run? Do you like, you know, have like a caloric load or like a, like any kind of, you know, proactive feeding that you have before? I actually don't. I, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I need to. Um, I feel like I have trained myself to be able to operate with this nutritional plan that I, that I have. And I, and I, I feel like I'm a, I'm an excellent fat burner and I don't feel the need. I I don't, I don't see a need for me to all of a sudden throw all these calories into me, um, and all this nutrition into me the night before an event. I might have a little more carbs the night before an event, but you know, it's more strategic and it's really not a lot. It's really not. I'll typically, I'll typically before a race, go have a, a, go have a piece of meat and maybe some sweet potato um, before before an event the night before. But I I tend to not like to change what I'm doing mm-hmm. and just and be consistent because I'm used to it. Gotcha, gotcha. Let's talk about gear, man. What kind of gear goes into running? You know these long distances like that, like as far as shoes, socks, like things that most people wouldn't think twice of. Like you don't have the right sock, you can get blisters. Like how do you kind of prevent against that? Yeah, it's tough. So there's there's Back when I started, there wasn't as there wasn't as much available, and the reality of it is, it's really trial and error, right? I mean, for a long time, I would get blisters until I found Drymax socks, and then I I started running in Drymax socks, and blisters started to to not occur for me, and it was it was great. Um, and then along with that, though, it's figuring out well what kind of shoe works for you, um, and what's best. So now they make all sorts of great shoes. Hoka makes great shoes. Ultra, I love ultra shoes, which have a wide toe box. So your, your feet and your toes are more splayed out. So they're not all crunched together. Mm-hmm. Those are a great shoe. Um, and what I used to do, and I still do it for some races is, um, the night before the race, I would cut out the top portion of the shoe. So my, my feet, my toes are not rubbing against the upper portion of the shoe and they're allowed to like be more out there. Um, and that also helped to, to give my feet some more room. Uh, to run in, but the the shoe and the sock portion of it 
is really a trial by error. But for me, it's been dry max socks. And now ultra shoes are really, um, I have a lot of success with ultra shoes on, on a road basis and innovate shoes on the, uh, on the trail basis. I just ordered a pair of ultras. Um, uh, I had, I had no idea what kind of shoe I needed to run in, but I hear like Nike Air Max are probably not the best thing for me. <laughs> so I, uh, I, <laughs> <skip> those. <laughs> I think you'll like the ultra shoes. Cause I think you'll find that the, that your, your foot will sit really nice in it. Do you remember what model you bought? Yeah, they have like a, like I went on their website, they had like a, a little questionnaire thing as far as like, you know, have you run in these before? Where does your current shoes wear most? And they gave me like this recommendation. So I just bought that. It was like a hundred bucks. Um, but I haven't had them. They should be coming in later this week, but I haven't broken them in at all. So I'm probably going to run a couple miles in those just to break them in and hopefully, you know, get get a shoe that works well for me because I don't have any other option. You'll be fine. I think you'll like that. I think you'll like the Ultra Shoe a lot. I think they're a great company. They do really, really well. And for me, I found that they're they're a super shoe. Um, I love their road shoe, the Solstice. It's very light, and um, there's plenty of room um, for my for my feet to sit in them. And I I don't get blisters with them. I actually don't get blisters at all, and in, in hundred mile races. Really, um, a lot of people a lot of people you might see in these races taking their shoes off, taking their socks off, checking things out. Over the course of 10 years, in the beginning, yep, I certainly got them. And some of them were nasty bad. The whole bottom of my foot would blister um, at times, big blisters on toes, lost toenails. But um, my last few 100-mile races, no blisters, no foot problems whatsoever. You think that's because you've just got the right gear for you or because your body's just kind of adapted to it? I feel it's a combination, right? I feel it's a combination of being used to it. But I do think a big component of it is finding the right shoes and socks and that combination that works best for me, right? And manipulating them to a certain extent, whether I have to cut the top off to make sure there's no rubbing here or there, um, or I don't. Um, it's just, I think it's a combination of adapting and finding the right gear that fits you. Cause we're all different. We don't all have the same feet. That, you know, every shoe doesn't work the same for every person. Every sock doesn't work the same for every person. I, I was uh, a crystal, she was kind of like, worried about me on this this marathon so she googled a whole bunch of people with like toes blown off and black toenails <laughs> which didn't help the situation at all but uh, i'm assuming that's just because like of lack of lack of blood flow to the, to the toe well i mean it's 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 friction right it's also friction right constant rubbing of the of of the toe against the shoe whether it's the front of the shoe the top of the shoe the side of the shoe that's really i think what causes um blisters to occur people will try like for example in the Badwater race right there's um there's this great woman that lives up in lone pine denise jones and her husband ben jones is a wonderful man who used to be the coroner uh in the area and he's run the Badwater race she comes in and she tapes uh participants feet the night before uh with special tape so that uh it reduces the friction uh against the shoe and prevents blisters from perform uh, from forming so I mean, blisters can destroy you. They really can. I mean, if they're bad enough, they can completely stop you in your tracks. Um, but I think you'll be fine. You'll, especially if you got the ultra shoes, you'll be fine. And, and, by, and besides, if you have a black toenail and, and your toe blows up or whatever, it'll get better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping so. What about, um, uh, body glide? Everybody keeps somebody to get some body glide too. I guess that's just anti chafing. All right, so yeah, so I love that you asked this question, right? So this this is great, man. This is gonna go this is gonna go down a whole nother hole. Um, so yeah, Body Glide is one of the products 
that you can use to prevent chafing. Um, there's a ton of other products out there too, right? But a couple years ago, a friend of mine, uh, maybe four or five years ago, a friend of mine said, no, no, you got to try, you got to use this. This is better. I was like, okay, well, if this is better, let me, let me, let me try it. Well, the this that he wanted me to try is your basic run-of-the-mill buy it on Amazon.com uh, sex lube, right? Silicone-based um, sex lube, right? Whether it's Astroglide or whatever the brand is, right? Okay, <laughs> I'm, I know you're laughing. I knew we were going down a hole here, right? But I'm telling you, it works better. Really? It works better. It does. It doesn't wash away, right? It's, it's much more, it's, it's, it's better water-resistant product. It doesn't wash off for, and, and I've introduced this to many ultra runners, including um, an ultra runner from Belarus who just left Wednesday for the World 100K National Championship. She just left Wednesday. She's up there. She will swear by it too. Uh, my friend Brian Recor out in California, he's the one that introduced it to me. So I will run a 100-mile race, apply once in the areas that are of concern, um, and not even worry about it again. I won't put it on my feet now. Uh, I won't put anything on my feet because I don't like to manipulate anything in, the, in, in that area. But any place that I might chafe, um, I'll put it on. I'll use a rubber, like a, you know, one of those rubber gloves to put it on because it is hard to get off mm -hmm. um, of your hand. So I'll put it on with, with rubber gloves. I won't even think about it again, and I won't get any chafing. So, uh, so like an silicone base. or whatever. Silicone base. Repels water base. Okay. really well. Yep. I'm going to order some of this. Get on and Amazon. Yeah, Crystal's going to look at my Amazon history. She's going to be like, what's going on here? <laughs> I know. I always joke with my wife and I say, I need some more of this stuff where you go to the store and pick it up. And she's like, hell no. <laughs> I'm going to get some. Yeah, that'll be good. So I'll put that all over all areas of concern. I should be good to go there. What about like shorts and like briefs or underwear? Like what, what's the best option there? I usually get my stuff from, so I don't like to wear those. You know how those shorts have the built-in? Yeah, like the little um, liner thing. I don't like those. So I usually, so I'll get some of those shorts. Like I, I, I think I'm wearing like Nike shorts right now, like Nike uh, dry fit, you know, shorts. And they came with the liner and I cut the liner out. And I'll usually just wear like, um, you know, I'll wear like um, any kind of like underwear and like, you know, performance wear underwear, like whether it's from Roadrunner Sports, you know, some like I like them a little bit longer, not all the way to the knee, but you know, maybe six inch or you know, six compression inch or something shorts like or, that. or loose. Not like I would call them like semi compression, right? Like not total compression shorts, right? Um, kind of like semi compression. I don't like to be too restricted in general. Gotcha, gotcha. What about uh, like a shirt? I mean, I guess I could just run shirtless. So there's probably rules against that, but you don't want like if you're running long distances and your shirt's not you know moisture wicking, when I like chafe your nipples and everything too, I hear. Yeah, so I'll generally get, um, I'll generally just wear, um, you know, a dry fit shirt, whether it's, you know, Brooks, Adidas, Nike, I think, you know, some of the shoe, a lot of the shoe companies make them, Solomon or North Face, you know, whatever. A lot of times I'll just run in shirts that I got from a race that are dry fit performance shirts or, uh, you know, something like that. On the nipple chafing side, though, um, the trick there is, um, to use the small band-aids, they're about like, they're square, right? They're like little tiny squares. They're, they're about the size of the nipple, like a little bit bigger. And I just stick them on there. And actually, I'll wear them for a week and train for a week and then take them off. Um, huh. 
and and they work great. Like I, I will wear a pair, I'll wear a pair for an entire week for training, and they won't come off in the shower or anything. Um, wow. I think like like the little band aid like spot bandages. They're like they're small, yeah. um, but they work great. I prefer that than trying to put body glide on there because it, ultimately that stuff will wear off and it'll still be there. So I like the little the little band aids. Nipple band aids are good. Are good. Okay, I'll get that. And then um, somebody was telling me, correct, correct me if I'm wrong here, and this may be totally like a false statement, but they were saying that if you're running incredibly long distances and you, for one, aren't hydrated, but two, if you like urinate and you don't leave anything left in your bladder, then you become dehydrated throughout the run. And that's why you start like hearing stories of people, you know, peeing blood because they basically just dried up everything. Never heard of that before in my life. Really? Huh. Yeah, all these I, rumors. I, I, <laughs> I know. Well, there's all there's always something. I mean, you know, pee, peeing blood and stuff like that. That's a kidney issue, right? So that's like, I mean, I've seen people have that problem, um, and you know, most people attribute that to lack of hydration. I've never heard that you've emptied your bladder so much that you're just dry, and that's why that happens. I, I've never heard of that, but I'm not a doctor either, and uh, I'm a lawyer, so that's perfect. So I have to like, you know, make sure I say I'm not a doctor, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, perfect, um, perfect. But no, I've never, I've never heard of that. But I've also, I've never had a problem with that. I've, I've definitely had races where I've been dehydrated, and I've fallen behind on my fluid intake, especially at Badwater, and especially the first year that I ran it, I actually completely passed out during the race uh, oh, for really? a brief period of time. Yeah, I, eyes rolled back of the head, fell back. One of my crew members caught me, and I woke up and I had vomited on myself, um, and that was exactly what I needed because everything was great after that. Um, kind of like the body's way of saying, I, I have something that I need to get out and I'm just going to get it out my way, not your way, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but I, I've, you know, I've never, I've never experienced any of those kinds of issues, thankfully, where I'm peeing blood or, you know, having, you know, dark brown urination or anything like that. I, I try to, I try to sip on a, a water periodically and drink when I'm thirsty and that seems to work well for me. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll just stay hydrated and hope for the best for sure. That's the main thing. I think most people's issues are just simply lack of hydration and electrolytes. Yeah, I think so. I I, I feel the same way. What about um, like like the mindset? We kind of touched on it in the beginning, but is there any kind of tricks or hacks that you do to not fixate on the negative and just kind of chip away one mile at a time? Yeah, hundred percent. And then and you should do this in your in your marathon as well. Like I'll tend to pick depending on the type of race, whether, you know, if it's a loop race, I might focus on a loop at a time and like set a time goal for that loop and not even think about loop seven or loop eight, or, uh, if it's a lot of loops, loop 40. Um, but generally I'll, st I'll break the race down. All right, I'm going to get to mile 10 and we're going to, we're going to go from there. And I want to get to mile 20 and the mile 30 and the mile 40 and kind of break it down into little bits and pieces, uh, whether it's mileage, pieces or loop pieces or, or whatever it may be. And um, that helps to break things up. And that helps to kind of focus on the now versus focus on focusing on what's to come later. And I, I think that helps a lot to kind of break things into little, little parts and focus on succeeding one part at a time. Gotcha. Do you listen to, to music or do you bring like headphones or anything with you on a run? I do. I like the, the interesting part about so for training, I always if I'm, if I'm not running with a training partner, um, like today I ran with a buddy of mine, so I had no music or anything, but if I'm running by myself, I will bring, um, 
something with me. It'll typically be a little bit of music, but I like to also listen to podcasts while I'm running. Um, kind of gets me focused into what is being said on the other side and trying to listen to it and hear it and interpret it. And, and sometimes I find myself like talking out loud um, while doing it because I have an answer or I disagree with something that might have been said on the podcast. When it comes to a race, um, I always will bring some music with me. But what I find in these ultra races is it's so much of a community event and such a friendly event that I might bring it and then I'm at mile 50 and I haven't touched it yet because I've had conversations with people during the event or we've been talking. I'm running with someone who's at the same pace that I am. And so we might converse for 30, 40, 50 miles or something like that. See, I cannot talk when I'm running, man. Like it's like a, it's exhausting to me to try and carry on a conversation while I'm running. And that, that may just be because I'm out of shape, but I can, I cannot talk and run at the same time. Well, it's, it, it may be that you're just not used to it. Generally, though, especially in a race that's of long distance, um, I tend to find that I want to try to keep myself at a conversational pace. So I want, I, I like to try when I'm doing my longer training runs and I'm not doing a speed specific run or a hill workout. I want to be able to carry on that conversation with someone. I want to stay, I want to stay in zone two, right? I, I don't want my heart rate to be racing too high. I want to be nice and relaxed, nice and easy, focus on building up endurance. And I find that if I have a conversation with somebody, I, I keep myself to that level where I think it helps me to improve. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, um, another technical question here, when you do bring music or podcast, whatever, what kind of like headphones, you know, or just any kind of headphone, I guess. Yeah, I use, so like I have, you know, like a Bluetooth headphones, like, like monster makes a Bluetooth headphone. I look for anything. I think, um, I'm waiting for the new, uh, Apple earpods to come out and maybe I'll try, you know, running with those. But, you know, back when I started, there was none of this stuff. So we just had, you know, regular headphones, you know, regular sports over the year headphones. And you're just uh, holding your I phone the whole time? Um, I have one. I have an old um, iPod um, Nano, I guess it is. Uh, uh, so I, I use the Nano. But I also have, um, I have an Apple Watch that has music on it. So if I wanted to, I could take a Bluetooth headset and wear my Apple Watch on one hand and my GPS watch on the other and just listen to music. Uh, that's pretty nice. Uh, yeah, I don't have any other watches, so I have to like figure out some way to strap my phone to me because I probably wouldn't want to carry that with me either. Yeah, I don't like running with my phone, although my buddy Brian, who's who's a big 100-miler, he'll carry his phone for 100 miles and he'll listen to music on it. He'll even make some phone calls on it. No, I think he takes work calls while he's running 100-mile races. It's <laughs> crazy. That, that is very uh, – that's hardcore for sure. What about um, like just hardship, man? Like I love diving into like – dark time like, i don't know it's just it interests me but has there been like a, a point in a run you know like whether it be like the bad water 135 where you just you know not feeling it and things are just not looking good and you mustered up the will to get through it absolutely i i don't think that there is i mean that happens daily in training right it's not as dark or as deep in training as it might be in a race where you put all of your effort into preparing for it and now you're in this moment and this moment means everything, right? Am I going to give in and concede and fail? Or am I going to overcome and succeed and triumph um, and get over that spot that I'm in? Some races, especially ultra endurance events, 50 miles and 100 miles or more, you know, they talk about you're going to run the marathon. The marathon has the wall, right? About 20 miles. They call it the wall. Uh, there's about, there can be about 20 walls in a 100 mile race, right? Where you, where you feel like the end is near. And I don't think I've ever run 
a hundred mile race where I haven't at some point thought, oh man, how am I going to get through this? There's a low spot, right? Um, and there's different ways that I use to get out of those low spots. Sometimes it's just thinking a positive thing. Sometimes it's hooking up with somebody that's in the race with me who might be just as down and trying to give them a boost and, and, and have them give me a boost. Um, sometimes it's even just walking for a mile or two, just stopping for a second and saying, you know what, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk two miles here. Uh, and I'm just going to regroup and I'm going to see if I can recover and then I'm going to get back at it. Um, but I've had some really tough times in races before. I mean, I've been in a hundred mile races where I've been at mile 50 and I said, uh, I'm done. I really don't want to continue. I really don't. Uh, and some, sometimes I've, I picked up the phone and I've called my family and they've gotten it through me or one of my coaches at the time or one of my friends. Um, that's what the community kind of does for each other. Um, I'll even receive phone calls. Um, I just trained somebody to run the keys 100 mile race. This great, great person. Um, Julie, she's a, a veterinarian. She goes by the handle dolphin doc, right? She trains dolphins, um, and works with animals and she's an absolutely wonderful person. And she asked me to train her for the keys 100, which I did. Um, and it was late at night. My phone rang. It was one of her crew people. She was going through a tough time and they put me on the phone with her and it just took a little bit of conversation, you know, that just little assurance that, Hey, you know, everything's going to be all right. Everything's just going to be fine. Just put one foot in front of the other, walk it out a little bit and you'll be fine. And she did it. She triumphed. She got over that spot. She finished and she did really well. So, you know, there are different ways and there's different, different strategies to use, but you know, there definitely have been some dark times for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. And it's, it's kind of crazy. Like I, like I said, I've never run a race, but I can appreciate any sport in which you're faced with a like huge wall that just seems like unpassable and you have to muster up the, the grit inside of yourself to get over and get through it. Like that to me, like I have utmost respect for that. Like people that go you know, the extra mile and put in the work and do something that's not comfortable. Like I'm so sick of people's, you know, desire to always be comfortable, like be miserable and just soak it up and love it, you know? Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the great thing about ultra endurance events, whether they're ultra cycling events, ultra running events, ultra swimming, whatever it may be, right? It's, it's all about that triumph. And you would be surprised what we are capable of as humans. We're capable of so much more than we even think about. Um, David Goggins has this rule when you're, when your brain, th when you think you're done, you still have 60% left or 40, 60, 40 rule, either 40% or 60% left there. You're capable of so much more. And what's really great about watching all these people go outside of their comfort zone. Like I've, I've worked myself over the time, over the course of time to be able to finish a hundred mile race in 18 hours, right? My lab, my best race is 18 hours, uh, out in jackpot. And I can usually finish in under 20 hours. Well. A lot of these races, the time limits are 30 hours and 36 hours, right? I love to come back and watch every single person finish that's finishing in that 29th hour of a 30-hour time limit and what they went through to get to that point and to be there. Those are the people that are, you know, for me, yeah, it's impressive the guy that wins the 100-mile race and the girl that wins the 100-mile race in 14 and 15 hours. Yeah, it's impressive the folks that finish the race in under 24, which is kind of like the magic number, right? For most people, like you want to finish in an under four hour marathon, like 24 hours is a magic number for a hundred. But it's those people that are out there for 30 hours more that are just struggling to get through and finish and just finding a way to triumph and be 
you know, be show how 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 much they're capable of. Those are the people that really impress me. I, I love those people, and that's why when I finish a race, I don't go home. And a lot of the people that win a race in fourteen and fifteen and sixteen hours, they don't go home either. They come back out and they take care of and help those people that are still out there. That's what's great about this community. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now this is cool, man. I'm very very intrigued by this. I've never gravitated towards like running. I never thought this would be my thing, but just you know talking to you and kind of seeing. And my first introduction, well, I watched that David Goggins uh, podcast with you know Joe Rogan. I'm like, with Joe Rogan, yeah, sure. Man, this is freaking awesome. <laughs> like, I, I'm I was drawn to just like the the mental aspect of it. Like, I love being miserable, like self masochist almost. It's it's kind of strange, but that is like I can point to those moments in my life where I just thought I was not going to make it, and those are literally the defining pivotal moments where all my success is stemmed from. So. Anything that I could do to bring that on upon myself and just add it more, I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's great. It's great, and you will find a lot of that in ultra ultra endurance events. It's exactly what it's about. And David is a great example of it. David's a friend of mine. We're not super close, but um, we were working together when he was interested in going to run in Brazil, and um, we've kept in touch periodically. He's a great example of that. Um, that story he tells on the Joe Rogan podcast about wanting to run the Badwater race and having to do it at the last minute just to qualify um, and go out there and run 100 miles on no training just to get it done. It's like, you know, he's, he's a great example of using um, those deep, dark moments and triumphing in those moments um, in the future and in his life. Um, and it's great stuff. I love that stuff too. Um, it's great. Yeah, it's... it's I, I just wish more people would, would gravitate towards that as opposed to away from it because, you know, if, if if they could just get a fraction of the benefit that I've gotten from it, you know, I mean, they 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 just be hooked. They just see how filling and great that is and what it makes them, I mean, what it illustrates that they're truly capable of. Because like you said, I mean, people are capable of so, so much more physically and mentally and emotionally than they think they are. So to be able to just tap into that, I don't know, I mean, it gets me excited. I think, I think, I don't know. I mean, this is just my opinion and, you know, everybody's got an opinion, right? I mean, I think we, we in general, as people, we get very complacent in life. Like you said, we get very comfortable. We get comfortable with the daily routine. We get comfortable with what we have around us and we get comfortable with the people that are surrounding us. And I think a lot of us don't, um, don't try to get outside of that box. We, we come into this comfort zone and we're so happy in it that we're afraid to disturb it. We're afraid to challenge it. We're afraid to try to add something to it or take something away from it to see if it makes us better humans, right? And it's a shame because I think we miss a lot. We miss a lot of experiences. Um, and people are afraid to fail sometimes, right? I mean, they're complacent. They're comfortable. I'm so comfortable. Uh, I'm not going to try something else because what if I fail? What if I don't make it? And I think the best part of of life is failing because we learn so much from failing. We try something new. We get so, so much out of failing um, that I think, you know, we, we should, we should test ourselves more. We should see what we're capable of more. We shouldn't be so comfortable in the things that we do. We should definitely raise the bar um, and see what we are capable of. 100% completely agree, man. I could not say it better myself. You, you said it perfectly. You said it perfectly. Well, Tony, where, where can people go to find out more about you, man? When's the next race? Well, right now I'm signed up for the Jackpot 100 in February. I'm not sure um, 
uh, with the kids if I'm going to be able to actually fit that one, fit that one in this year. I've done it. I think this will be my sixth time doing it. Um, I'd like to do it. I don't do that one. I'm, I think I'm going to do Umstead in March. I really want to train, um, focus on the focus on the nutrition, focus on being more keto, more no sugars, no grains in the running aspect, um, and better my hundred mile time if I can. Uh, from the 1858 that it is and try to get it even below that even into the 17s if I can um, so I really want to work hard I don't want to just throw a race in there and then just show up and not be ready for it and, and and just go to finish I'd really like to test myself in this next one so I think February might be the next one uh, if not it will be March very cool very cool well I will definitely be keeping tabs on you man because I have I mean intrigued by this like I said I want to see how you do and I mean, I'll probably give you a jingle as I get closer to this marathon of mine if I have any more questions for you. Yeah, I was going to say, if you need any help with the marathon, if you need any suggestions or um, any training help or whatever, just hit me up and I'm happy to help. I, I train a few people right now and um, and I love doing it. I just love helping people. And um, so if you need anything, uh, just give me a call or, or shoot me a note. Awesome, awesome. I'll certainly do it, Tony. I appreciate the time, man. Until then, brother. Have a good one and, and safe travel, safe running. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks so much. And thanks for having me on. I really love following you and Crystal. You know, what you guys are doing. Um, I, I follow you guys on Instagram. And, and I admit I, don't, I haven't listened to much of your podcast, but I certainly will. Um, I really like what you guys are doing. I like especially how uh, you and Crystal kind of put yourselves out there live every single day for people to come on and how you, how you sit there and answer questions. One, I, I, I don't think you, you – I don't even think – you don't answer a question. I think you answer every question that's that's posted on there as you go through your, your live feed. And I think that's just great stuff and, and keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate that, man. Like it's, I don't know, it, for me, it's just so fulfilling to be able to like add more value than I take. And if there's, you know, any way that I can document my process, document my journey and people take interest in that and have questions as far as, like, you know, how can they do something similar in their own life, then that I'm all for. Like I want to help in any way I can because I want to help empower people. Kind of like we were saying earlier, you know, tap into what you're truly capable of. And I've been in dark places. I've been in dark times and I've seen the other side and I'm just invigorated by that. So if I can help other people reach that in some form or fashion, that that's, that's where I find my fulfillment. That's what motivates me to wake up in the morning and do it over again. That's great. Well, I, I definitely think you're helping people. And I can certainly say that the two of you have, have certainly helped me because I'm learning a little bit more about um, about your journey and Crystal's journey and, and what you guys are doing. And I think it's great. And it kind of mo- it, it definitely motivates me um, to make changes in what I'm doing to try to make myself a better person, too. So it's, it's definitely working and, and definitely keep doing it. Well, there's everything I could do to help you, man. You just you get my number. You just let me know. Yeah. Send me a couple keto bricks next time. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll try that for sure. I'd love to try it on the whole bad water. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll jump on the crew if that's still open, and then we'll we'll make that happen. Then I'll send you some for the next race for sure. All right, that sounds awesome. All right, Tony. Until next time, man. Take care, brother. Thank you, buddy.